Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Lovely to see you here. Christmas is just around the corner. How exciting. How many people love the idea of giving gifts more than receiving them? Yeah, like me, I love receiving them too. (laughs) That's just a ridiculous thing to say, isn't it? Of course we want to receive them. But it is something pretty cool though about uh, giving gifts as well. It's a great time of year. It's a great time of family. And it's a great time of celebrating. Today we're going to be looking into this Christmas story a little bit more. And just uh, hopefully taking it out of the stained glass window a little bit. And looking into some of the challenges, I think, that was there in the Christmas story for the Christmas family as they began their journey. So before we open the Word this morning, can we just pray? Let's bow our heads together. Father, this morning we thank You that You're with us, that Your story is celebrated around the world at this time. God, people stand in their homes, people stand in their churches, people walk past shopping centres and hear songs sung that have profound meaning the meaning of the Son of God leaving heaven, coming to earth as a baby, the gift of heaven to this earth. Father, we thank You for that. We pray this Christmas would be a testimony to You that many people would turn their hearts to You. Many people, Father, would look up from the lives that they're in and see that there's a God that loves them, that cares for them, that wants to know them. Father, would You help us understand that story? In Jesus' Name, Amen. Well, there's been many great gifts given to humanity over the history of the world. Scientific breakthroughs, medical breakthroughs, breakthroughs in the, in the way people understand how we think, breakthroughs in, in how we do relationship together, insights into how to do life well, technology that gives us comforts and ways of doing things that just was so much different than people that lived hundreds of years ago. And we know that at Christmas time, we're celebrating probably the greatest gift, which is the gift of the baby Jesus to this earth. But like any great gift, great gifts cost a lot. And, uh, and you'll know that as you look at your credit card in January and you just look at what this Christmas has cost you, right now it's cost you nothing. <laughs> but in January, it will magically appear and that will be what Christmas cost you. But clearly the greatest cost paid at Christmas time was the cost paid by God. As God sent His Son into the world, He, Philippians 2 said that He emptied Himself of all His divinity and didn't think being equal with God was robbery. In fact, He, he was God. He was equal with God. He sat with God, but came in the form of man, humbled Himself that He might walk amongst us. And as He did that, emptying himself of his divinity, he, he came as a single cell within the body of a young virgin called Mary. Now, I don't know how much you ever humbled yourself, but if you're the creator of the universe and you've made all things that you see in the natural world and you're willing to take yourself and become the smallest cell inside the womb of a woman, you've gone from the highest place to the lowest place. 
But then, of course, Philippians 2 goes on and says that uh, not only did He walk amongst us, but then He went and died on a cross for us, not just any death, but the death on a Roman cross, which at the time was considered the most humiliating death that you could have. So you've got a picture of a God who comes from heaven, comes as a single cell, comes as a human, but then dies, something that God can't do without human flesh. Dies on a cross, humiliatingly, and then rises again. It's an incredible story of humility and transition and resurrection and power. And that's a great story. And of course, that's what we're celebrating. But then there's a great cost to that. But I want to look at somebody else in the first family who paid a great cost, and that was Joseph. Oftentimes, Joseph gets a little bit overshadowed by Mary and by the baby Jesus. And appropriately, that's true. But this morning, I want to draw a little bit out. I've been living with Joseph now for a couple of weeks and thinking about Joseph and his journey and this. And I've got to tell you, I reckon he's one of the unsung heroes of the Christmas story. Open your Bible with me, if you can, to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. The, the words will come on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Matthew 1 and verse 18. And it says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph is one of the unsung heroes of the Christmas story. The Bible says that Joseph was a good man. He was from the lineage of David. He knew the law. He obeyed the law. He was going back to Bethlehem, which was his birth town. And it was the place, uh, of course, where they needed to go for the census. Of course, being part of the lineage of David, he also would have known much about the promised Messiah. He would have also been very tuned into the, the time of Israel and how God had promised a king, a prophet king, a suffering servant, one that would come and would deliver his people. So that narrative would have been strong within him as he travelled. But he was betrothed to a young girl called Mary. Now in the time back then, Mary, the betrothal idea was this, that, that uh, a man and a woman would be engaged together, what we would call engaged, for 12 months. They would be brought together. Sometimes it would be arranged by the families. Other times it would be by choice. But they would come together, man and woman, and essentially linked together, but not able to live together or be together intimately. And that would happen for 12 months. At the end of the 12-month period, 
then there would come the wedding day. And you see a picture of this in, a, in another story that Jesus told. But on the wedding day, the bridegroom can come for his bridegroom at any time of the day. You can come first thing in the morning, you can come last thing at night. And so the bride has her bridesmaids around her. her job, their job is to prepare her, but also watch for the bridegroom's coming. And so the bridegroom would come unannounced. The bridesmaids would see that and say, hey, he's coming, he's coming. He would then take his bride. They would go and consummate their marriage and then they would join the wedding feast. And that was the process of the Jewish wedding or marriage. And so they had just begun this journey, Mary and Joseph, towards becoming husband and wife. And then he hears these words that he's probably going to define his life forever. I'm pregnant. Now, just slow the story down for a minute. He knows it's not him because he wasn't there. Think about it for a minute. I'm pregnant. Comes from the mouth of the woman you're betrothed to. What does your mind do? He's a good man, the Bible says. One thing he knows, he's not, it's not him that got her pregnant, but it's a giant pill for him to swallow. This is the lowest point of his life. What is he going to do? He has a pregnant fiance, and the story she's sticking with is God got me pregnant. Now he knows the scripture pretty well. And he hasn't seen too many precedences where God gets girls pregnant. Hasn't heard it before. Brand new idea. But Mary, who he loves and trusts, is saying she's pregnant and God did it. What would you do? He knows the law. The law says this very clearly in Deuteronomy 22 and verse 23. If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he humbled his neighbour's wife. So you shall put away the evil from amongst you. So the law is clear. Joseph has got two decisions in front of him. The first decision is he can divorce her, which according to the law he can do. But to, in order to divorce her on his terms, he would have to pay a stipulated sum of money to the father, which would release him from the contract of betrothal, and she would go her way and he would go his way. He would have to pay for something that wasn't his fault, essentially. The second choice he can do is he can accuse her of adultery. If he does that, he avoids the sum of money that's got to be paid. But according to Deuteronomy 22, then she goes before the courts and then it's adjudicated whether or not she's guilty and then she could be stoned. And so he doesn't want that either. And so he's standing at a T-section, what will I do? But the Bible says he's a good man. So he's wanting to make the right decision. Joseph doesn't realise he's standing on the edge of history right now. Right now with this his soul ripping inside him. The idea of what is the right choice to make. He is on the edge of history. God is calling him into one of the greatest journeys and adventures of his entire life, but the whole thing looks like a train wreck. Have you ever stood there before? Ever stood on the edge of what you know God's calling you to do? And at the moment, it looks like a train wreck. And you think, God, how on earth in all of this mess could this ever be called the will of God? 
How on earth, with the way this is falling apart, this is against the law, it's against the customs, it's against everything I've known, it's against anything my mind can think about. No, my family tradition, nothing that I've ever seen before. It's just completely wrong and here I am. And the life that I thought I was going to live has now starting to fall apart. Have you found sometimes the gift of God is good, but the wrapping paper just disguises it? It just looks a bit camouflaged. And it's hard to see that God is really at work. But God is calling Joseph into his life calling right now. So what does Joseph do? He says, I'm going to put her away secretly. In other words, he's going to divorce her, pay the sum of money, and then let them go both ways, protecting her from being stoned but also meaning they can go their separate ways. Seems like the logical thing to do. And then Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. <laughs> ever found every time angels show up, people are scared stiff? Have you ever read anything in the Bible where the angels show up and people go, oh, yeah, it's just an angel. Oh, yeah, what do you want? Normally, you're petrified. He's not just petrified because the angel's shown up. He's afraid for the decision he's trying to make. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But be not afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he'll save his people from their sins. Why did the angel caution Joseph not to be afraid? Well, because he was afraid. He was afraid like you would be afraid, like I would be afraid. And I reckon there's two things. When the call of God comes knocking on our door and we wonder, is God in the midst of all that we're seeing fall apart? Here's two things that starts to happen inside us. Firstly, we are afraid about the perceptions of others. What will I do? What is the right thing to do? What will others say depending on what I make a choice here? What are the customs of my time? What does my family think? What will others, what will my reputation damage look like down the road? What is the right decision to make here? And normally the fear that rises inside is because the way we've been brought up, the things we thought were normal are now being challenged. And we can't see where God's in that. And if you've ever felt like that, hey, you're not alone. Joseph had a big one going on here. And the second thing is we're afraid of what the future will hold. Remember, Joseph's a carpenter. So he's got a business to run in a small place called Nazareth, which when you think about it, if you go back and research the, how big the actual town is, it's about 400 families. It's about 400 families. So if you're a carpenter, with 400 families, you need a reputation that stays intact or your business is finished. And I'm sure he's not the only carpenter there. So, you know, the business easily goes somewhere else. And particularly in a community where the law is observed and people want things done right. Put yourself in the context, he wants to make the right choice. We're all going to wrestle with fears when our supernatural God comes to us and says, trust me. Because he's working in a realm we can't see. He is supernatural. He is above the natural. He calls us into a place and says, trust me. 
Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of what others might think. Don't be afraid of what your future might look like. Don't hold those things more important than trusting me. And inside our heart quivers. And if it does, it's human. But God says, trust me anyway. So what did Joseph do? Matthew chapter 1 and verse 24 says, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. In other words, Joseph made the decision to marry the pregnant girl with the dodgy story. That's, what, that's how we'd put it on the Australian T-shirt if we were going to write it up. The pregnant girl with the dodgy story, I'm going to marry her. Now have a think about the implications this means for Joseph. This decision defines Joseph now for the rest of his life. Everybody will believe he slept with Mary before they got married. It's the only conclusion. No one really will believe that she was a virgin that got impregnated by God. We believe it because we look back. But in the village of the time, in the time they lived in, do you think everyone swallowed that story? No, they didn't swallow that story. Joseph had a visitation from God. Mary had a visitation from God. Both of them with some family connection had prophetic uh, proofs offered to them as she met with Elizabeth and other things we have time to do. But they held the faith of what God told them privately in their heart and they took, held each other's hands and stepped into the future. But really only they knew that God had spoken to them. You know, I know as these guys step out from this place and you go to Rockhampton and you hold hands and you step into what God's asked you to do, really it's only the faith that's in your heart. Everybody else will all stand by, we'll pray for you, we'll wish you well, we do, we love you, we're sad you're going. But in the end, it's faith in you that says, I know what God's called us to do. And so we're going to trust the word of the Lord. We're going to trust that God is in our future together. And so Mary and Joseph did the same thing. They stood together. There was a, a term that was used by the, the Jewish people of the time. It was called Shekatui. Shek, let me get the pronunciation right. Shetuki, actually. Shetuki. Shetuki was a, a, a status given to a child where the father's status or identity was unknown. So if you were a baby or a child running around that grew up and you didn't, weren't, it wasn't known by the community who the father was of that child, because obviously they could work out who the mother was, but they didn't know who the father was, you were called a shituki. You were labelled a shituki. Now, that's different to someone being, I'm not going to use the B word, but you know what the B word is for someone that doesn't have, um, know their parents. It's not that. And, and the Jewish faith had a different, because uh, the kids are in, I won't use that term. But shetuki was the term used for someone that the father was unknown. By Joseph stepping into that place, he eradicated that label from Jesus' life. Now I want you to understand the power of what that did for Jesus growing up. Jesus now had a home. Jesus now had a covering in the natural. He grew up in the favour of man and the favour of God. Remember when Jesus went to the, to, to, they came away from the Passover and they said, oh, some, Jesus is somewhere amongst us here. He's 12 years old. And they got a bit down the road and realised they didn't know where he was. They went back and they found him sitting in the temple talking to the elders. Remember that? Jesus, he said, well, why do you, where do you think I'd be? I'm in my father's house. 
And the Bible says in that bit of Scripture that Jesus grew in stature and wisdom and in favour with God and men. Now, if you're a Shatuki, that's not going to happen. You're not going to grow in favour with men because you're always going to have the label. But Joseph stepped up. Joseph stepped out of a place where it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his doing. It wasn't his thing. He was a good man. He had a reputation. He had a way that he lived his life. But he said, I don't care about that reputation as much as I care about following the God that's called me. And he stepped into his role. And for the rest of history now, he was the guy that stood with Mary and they raised Jesus. I think it's an incredible story of sacrifice. It's an incredible story where we see the challenge of being human meeting the divine call that wants to call us into something else. You say, did it cost Joseph much? I think it cost him a lot. I think it cost him a lot. And yet he was willing to pay the price. There are three challenges I want to draw out of this story this morning just for us to maybe apply to our lives. Firstly, is the call of God will always cost us something. The call of God is always going to cost us something. I remember about 13 years ago, uh, I was just finishing up in the business world and I knew that 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 time had come to an end and God was changing the season for us, but we weren't quite sure where. And uh, our plan at the time was that We'd sort of put together a reasonable nest egg and had done some reasonably successful things in the business world and we'd put all that together and we're going to move back to Brisbane so we could relocate and take up some ministry roles back here. And my big plan in my head was that if we, with that nest egg we had, if we invested that well, then there'd be a little bit of income stream coming in that would just supplement the dramatic drop coming out of the corporate world into the ministry world and Rochelle, my wife, wouldn't have to work and we would go on that path together and somehow it would be a bit of a cushion. And I had it all worked out in my head except that when the GFC hit in 2007 and that little nest egg that was in sitting safely, we thought, in a property trust got completely wiped out to zero and then when not only that, but in realising the assets to sell and put in the property trust, we got a $35,000 tax bill on top of that. And we arrived three months later in Brisbane with no job, $35,000 behind. That was a really fascinating time to be following the call of God. And I talk about it now with such glee and joy, but at the time, the grief was palpable. There were, I, I don't want to get into the detail too much except to say it was a big sum of money and it just went and uh, so there was probably about 18 months of grief that I personally experienced as that just evaporated in front of my eyes I remember right at the time too there was another job offer that came from the industry I was leaving it was for $300,000 a year plus bonuses but I had to move to Sydney and take my family they were just little babies And I I said, God, I have nothing. It would be so much better if I just did that for a few more years. And then I could join you, (laughs) as if I was leaving him, but I'll join you in the ministry at a later time. I remember distinctly the Lord saying, go that way, not that way. And, And I'm telling you this story to say this. Does the call of God cost us something? Yes, it does. It may not cost you that. But I'll tell you this, it's going to cost you something. Because God at the end of the day is not interested in our plans and our dreams and the things we think are going to make Him better. He says, I want your heart, I want your obedience, and I want you to trust me. 
and I will look after you. And I don't know your story personally, intimately, but I know that whatever it is, that is the water God's asking you to walk out on. And there is always safety in the boat and we can stay in the boat and 11 other disciples did. But Peter got out of the boat. Peter said, I'm gonna try. And I reckon we look at old Pete and we say, well, yeah, but he sunk. But I'll tell you what, he's the only one that took three steps on the water in the history of mankind. I'd like to take three, wouldn't you? Even if I sunk after three, I'll take three because that's three more I would have taken otherwise. I don't know about you, but the call of God will cost you something. And Joseph had to redefine what serving God meant for him. If he really loved God, if he really wanted to be faithful to God and the angel of the Lord said, take the woman as your bride. And he said, yes, but God, it's gonna cost me something. And God says, yes, I know it's gonna cost you something. Joseph still had a choice to make. And he made the choice to take the woman and follow the path of God. His reputation was of lesser value than his obedience. The call of God will cost you something. I remember my first preach at Gateway. Uh, well, not my first preach, but it was the, my, what's called the selection preach. And uh, essentially my role is as exec pastor is voted by the members and every five years I have a term that comes up. Well, this was, of course, the beginning. And, and so in order to go to the vote, they, of course, had to hear me preach once. So I had this, what's called affectionately, the poison chalice. <laughs> and um, you've got to get up and everyone knows that after this particular preach, there's going to be a members meeting and then they're going to vote as to where they want you to come. So I'm up to preach and I'm nervous. Like, you know, I mean, if you know the context, I don't have a, I'm coming from nothing. I need a job, you know. So, uh, but I've got to preach. And so I think, okay, God, let's, I trust you. I'm just going to trust you. And I'm standing in the front row, just waiting for my chant, my turn to do what I need to do that morning. And I feel the Spirit of God say this to me. There's a woman here and she's tried to commit suicide a week ago. And I want you to pray for her. And my heart, in the authenticity of my heart, I heard God say it. And I said in my heart, God, I can't do that this morning. You don't understand. There's, there's a lot riding on this this morning. And, you know, if this is wrong, I might look like an idiot. And right now, looking like an idiot is not a good idea. And I'm battling with the Lord. And I turned to Joel Eames, who's behind me, and I said, oh, mate, could you come up? Just play some keys behind me. I think I'm going to pray for some people. And then I sat with the Lord and said, no, I can't do it, God. So I turned back to Joel and said, don't worry about it, Joel. We're not going to do it. He goes, oh, yeah, it's okay. And then about a minute later, I said, oh, Joel, would you come up with me again? We're going to go minister with the, and you pray behind me. And he goes, yeah, okay. And then about a minute later, I said, no, Joel, don't worry about it. We're not going to do it now. And, uh, and he, said, he leaned forward and said, are you okay? I said, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really not okay, but it's okay. It'll, it's nothing to do with you. Anyway, I remember getting up then and saying, well, God, we're, this is it. We're going to give it a go. I, so I stood up, and as I stood up, I felt the Spirit of God say, and she's sitting right there in the middle. And I said, oh, Lord, it's a woman, A, that's half the room that's just been knocked out. A committed suicide or tried to commit suicide, that's a big call. And not only that, but she's sitting right there. Anyway, I just went for it. I said, okay, Jesus, this is, this is you and me. Anyhow, after the second ask, you didn't put a hand up the first time. The second time, right in front of my hand, this woman put a hand up and said, that's me. Exactly one week, she walked out. We got together. We prayed in front of the whole church. 
the Lord just broke something in her life that morning. She said a week ago on Saturday night, she took a whole handful of pills. And if her husband just happened to wake up and looked at she was not breathing funny, shook her, and then got the ambulance. They got her stomach pumped and she survived. And she was in church for the first Sunday since that Saturday. How good is God? Not that he saved my reputation, but how good is God to rescue that woman? See, it's the obedience of God. The obedience to trust God when we step out on the water. What happens on the water never happens in the boat. It never happens like that. If we want to experience the supernatural God, we've got to get out where the supernatural God is. And we've got to do the things the supernatural God is asking us to do. Joseph could have disappeared into history and never been known. He was the guy. He may not even made the book. But Joseph's boldness put him in the story. And he created a home for the Saviour of the world to grow as he grew into his manhood that changed the world. Secondly, the call of God will always take you into places that are unexpected and unplanned. The call of God will always take you into places that are unexpected and unplanned. Abraham, leave your homeland and I'm going to make of you a great nation. Noah, you know Noah was 480 years old when God came to him and said, I want you to build an ark. He was 480 Who's tired and you're not 100 yet? Can I just see your hand for a minute? The ark took 120 years to build. Okay, so he's 600 when he finishes this project. (laughs) He lives into his 900s. This is an incredible project for a life to do, can I tell you? It's an unexpected event. It's an unexpected thing to happen. David is anointed as king, but he waits 18 years before he's crowned king. Hosea, God asked him to marry a prostitute so that through their marriage and through the prophetic utterances that Hosea brings, he can give a prophetic picture of the way God has looked at Israel, whose heart has been, if you like, prostitute towards him, but in spite of that, he has still drawn her in close and loved her. Hosea's whole life was modelled on that story because God said, marry the prostitute. Joseph knew all these stories of the patriarchs and I'm sure it reminded him that God is faithful. But when it's time for you to walk the road, it's different. It's easy to talk about Noah and say, wow. It's easy to talk about Abraham and go, wow. It's easy to talk about David and go, wow. Aren't I inspired? But when is it time for you to take the story and say, God, I trust you? Okay, now I'm on the water. That's me now. I'm joining the storybook. I'm joining it. I'm going to be out there with you, Jesus. We're We're going to, all these things are not going to be easy, but I'm going to walk with you. Joseph joined the storybook. And thirdly, the great thing about the call of God is it's not all difficulties and sacrifices. It will give you unprecedented experiences and the most amazing encounters with the God of heaven. Can I tell you, the call of God is worth it. The call of God is worth any price you can pay. The call of God to step out and take hold of the hand of the Father and say, God, I will walk with you. God, show me the things of the kingdom, please, that we could do this together. 
Joseph had a ringside seat to one of the greatest ever world events, the incarnation of God himself into human flesh. Most incredible opportunity. And Joseph got to name the saviour of the world. God put it into his hands and said, I want you to call him Jesus. So Joseph said, we'll call him Jesus. What an amazing privilege that it was to do that. The greatest honour we have is in partnering with God to see the kingdom of heaven established here on earth. I just want to tell you two quick stories before I close. Just stories from the last couple of weeks that have just been so wonderful to see what God is doing in our churches around Gateway. This is Carolyn and Des's story. I've asked both of these people if I can, can tell this story this morning. This is her story. I'm going to read from her email that she sent me. Carolyn writes, I wanted to let you know what happened after you prayed for our little granddaughter, Isla, at Redlands a few weeks ago. Since birth, she's had a major problem with her ears and sinuses. She's had tonsils and adenoids removed at 13 years of age. She's had grommets continuously since then and has had an acute sensitivity to noise. Since you prayed for her, she's back, been back to the ear, nose and throat specialist and he was very happy with her. She doesn't need grommets. Her hearing test was good and he doesn't want to see her till February. We are believing that this is an answer to prayer and it will be permanent. Praise God. Thank you for praying for us. What a miracle for these people. How exciting it is, I, I, knowing their story and, and seeing what's happened for them. If your kid is going to the doctor every other day, infection after infection with the chance of hearing loss, and now the specialist doesn't want to see you till the new year, that's pretty cool. It says there's nothing really to be concerned about God is at work. There's another story from Adam and Callie Hall and their son Eli. Eli has a condition called Wolf Parkinson White, a cardiac condition which causes him to go into a fast arrhythmia called supraventricular tachycardia. As a mother, it is always in the back of my mind and causes me so much anxiety, particularly when I put him to bed at night time. After you prayed for us, we attended our regular cardiologist appointment. Eli's ECG now shows only minor pre-excitation which is the marker somehow or other. And since Eli has stopped having episodes of SVT, we don't have to return to the cardiologist for two years. <laughs> How good is God? I tell you, I don't know that God laid it all out in my heart when, I, when he said, come follow me. I don't know what the journey is ahead, but I'm glad for every single marker where the Spirit of God says, here, keep partnering with me. Keep walking with me. And this morning, I don't want this all to be about the stories that I'm telling from here. I want this to be about the story that God's writing in your heart. I want you this morning to get hold of by faith that God will help you. God will meet you. God cares about you. If He's given you a dream, if He's placed something in your heart, He will see it to fruition if you just trust Him. I wonder if we could just pray. If we close our eyes, please. Father, this morning, God, I thank you for the privilege that it is to be called a son or daughter of yours. God, you call us into your family. God, you call us to be people that are chosen, set apart, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. One's God that will declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into a glorious light. Father, thank you for the privilege that it is to be called that. 
Thank you for the call to be sons and daughters. Thank you for your kingdom and for the way your kingdom has come to this earth. Father, would you help us partner with you? Each one of us where you put faith in our heart, you put an idea and a dream in our heart, God, would you help us to believe you that it can come to pass? Would you help us to believe you, God, that if you've called us, then we cannot fail if we just trust you. Father, would you help each person here this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Could we stand together this morning? I love us to sing this song, The Goodness of God. And somehow or other, this song has just kind of captured us as a church. Uh, right across all our different campuses, where as we're singing this song, it's just resonating uh, in people's hearts about the goodness of God and how the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God doesn't fail us. I recognise that as people sing this song, sometimes it can be a challenge to them because they can stand in the life they're in right now and say, but God, it doesn't feel like goodness right now. It doesn't feel good. And I get that. And I want to humanly, pastorally say, I understand that that's how you might be feeling. But this song is a declaration of faith. What this song is saying is, God, you are a good God. In spite of whatever I might be seeing, your nature is good and you are generous and you are kind. And the second thing this song is saying is, I'm declaring the goodness of God because that's what you've asked me to do. You've asked me to stand in this world and declare your goodness no matter what my mind thinks, no matter what the circumstances are saying, you want me to declare the goodness of God anyway. And that's the declaration of faith. And I, I don't know what it is about this song, but it's gripped us as a church because I think people just want to be able to say, yeah, I am going to declare that goodness. I am going to make that declaration this morning. So can I encourage you as we start to sing, let it be a faith declaration for you this morning. Can we just take a seat for a minute? I just want to do two things before we close. I'm really conscious how great the kids have been and I'm, I'm going to make sure we get done, but I feel like the Lord wants a couple of things to happen. I want to talk to the men this morning, just to the men, because somehow or other in the story of Joseph, we're looking at a man who stood up and did what God asked him to do. Men, men who see the call of God, who stand in the midst of circumstance, who stand for righteousness, who do the right thing, good men. You know, I don't know about you, but I reckon that's the shortage the world has right now is just good men who will stand up. I get that uh, this is not sexist by any means. I just think men should be men, godly men. Men who listen to God, who do the brave thing, who do the courageous thing, who make the right decisions, who stick it out when times are tough, who do what's needed when at times they don't feel like it's the right thing or they don't feel like they've got the energy to persevere, but they just hang in there. They just make themselves available. I reckon it's important that men decide to serve the call of God, that place the call of God first in their life and with boldness and strength lead their families in the call of God. Lead them in the Bible. Pray with their families. Stand up in times of difficulty and put God first and say, we're going to trust God now, everyone. That's the men I'm talking about. This morning, 
I'd just like us to pray for our men. I'd like, if, if this morning you'd say in your heart, men, God, help me be that man. You're the man I want to pray for this morning. Help me be that man, God. I may not always have been. I may not be as consistent as I want to be, but God, help me to be that man. If that's you this morning and you'd like a bit of strength to do it, you'd like a little bit of faith in your heart to be able to do it better, would you stand? Just stand where you are. Thank you for standing. There's a boldness to stand. I get it. And there's a decision made to stand too. When you stand, you're saying, God, I want you to help me be the man of conviction that I need to be to follow you no matter what. Whatever that might take, wherever you might want to lead me. I just wonder if we could do this. Those that are free to, could you come and lay hands on the man that's standing around you? They might be your man. They might be a friend. They might be someone you don't even know. But let's not let any man stand alone. Put a hand on them. We're going to pray for them this morning. Could I ask you to do that? Just move if you can. If you're comfortable to do that, if you're able to move, move around. Make sure there's a man somewhere that's being prayed for. Okay, let's just pray together. I just What I'd love you to do is just by faith, just agree with me. Those that have put hands on these men, just by faith, start to agree that this is a sealed agreement between them and God. And men, those that are standing by faith, I invite you, put your hands out and say, God, I receive from you this morning. I receive what I need. I receive the strength to do what you've called me to do. Father, this morning, I thank you for those that have stood, have said, God, I need you. The men that have said, God, I choose in my generation to stand and be counted as not just as one that would go with the flow, but I'd be one that would listen to your voice and do the hard thing if you ask me. God, whatever that might be, Lord, whatever commitment you call me to make, whatever it is you ask me to do, whatever pathway you ask me to follow, God, I ask you, would you give me the strength? I have willingness in my heart, but God, would you give me the strength to walk the course? Father, for each one that's here, Father, I pray that You would fill them afresh with that strength. Father, touch each one. Minister to them deeply. Father, let this Christmas, one of the greatest gifts, be the presence and power of God, Lord, that would touch each one right now. Father, thank You that You are a good God and You are faithful. In Jesus' Name, Amen. 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 Please. There's one more thing I'd love to do this morning. And, and men, I don't even know how this is going to work. But I felt like God whispered it to me this morning. I'd love us men that are here to pray for your families now. Now, I recognise that there's going to be a whole bunch of pe- people that are not going to be helped by this. I realise not everyone's family's here. I'm sorry about that. I, I I also realise that your families might be in another church or another state or may not even be serving the Lord right now. I get that as well. But some of you are sitting here today with your wives or with family. And others of you, you know that as you go out of today and you go into your Christmas week coming, you're going to be in contact with lots of members of your family in different ways. 
and I just would love us this morning as men to stand and bless our families now. I love us to bless them by faith, to speak words of faith into their future and over their lives. Not what they're doing wrong or right, but rather what God might do to intervene. How God might move. The supernatural God can change anything if we just put our hand and our trust in Him. Do you believe that this morning? Yeah. So men, can I ask you to do this? We're gonna pray for our families. So can I get you to do that? Stand up if you've got families around you. I wanna put your hands either on your wife, on your kids, on whoever's around you. Can you do that? If you don't have any family here, what I'd love you to do is just stand and put your hands out. I'm just gonna get you to start to pray for your family wherever they are. They may not be here. They may be some other part of the world. It's, it's irrelevant. We're gonna release by faith because distance doesn't matter in the Spirit. We're gonna release it by faith over our families. As you move out of this church today and you go into your family life in the next week or so, you're gonna meet people, see people that God's gonna put something on your life that's different. You're gonna see a change. There might be a forgiveness that needs to happen, a repentance that needs to happen. There might need to be something that needs to be done physically, practically in your family. I don't know, but I'm believing that God's gonna move with His power. Something else is gonna shift. Reconciliations are going to happen. Family is going to come back together. God's in the business of uniting us, helping us, putting His peace in the midst of strife. Come on, let's pray. I mean, you just start to pray. I'm going to pray over you. If you pray for your families how you want to pray, that'd be fantastic. God, this morning we stand by faith as men and we believe for our families right now. God, we know that we partner with our wives, we partner with many other people to do family life. But as men today, we stand before our Father God and we ask You today, Father, You'd move supernaturally in our families. God, that You'd place over them the call of God. You'd stir over our families again, Father, that sense of the the desire of God to know them. God, that repentance would happen. God, that those that aren't walking with You, their hearts would soften to You, Father. God, we ask You for miracles to happen. Father, where we've seen brick walls or where we've seen uh, times of great coldness one to the other, Father, we ask You'd move by Your Spirit in our families, oh God. Father, would You bless those that are walking with You. God, would You open doors for them, Father God, that You'd show them their future so clearly. God, we pray for prosperities over our families, God. You'd bring us the resources we need to do the things You've called us to do. Father, today we ask as men for our homes, God. Lord, as You asked Joseph to stand up, we stand up this morning. And we speak the words of faith over our families today. God, we ask this Christmas, Father, for breakthrough to happen. Lord, we give You the praise and glory. Give us wisdom, Lord, as men, as we leave this place, that we'd walk wisely before You in the counsel of the Lord. In the mighty Name of Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we would love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au. 